Have you ever had a time where you were worried about something, like continually stressing over it, and maybe you were ruminating in your thoughts, and your thoughts began to create some anxiety, and pretty soon you're waking up in the night and your brain instantly goes to that thing that you were thinking about? I mean, this is just hypothetically, I of course have no experience with this, just kidding, this happens to me all the time. What also happens is by the time it's afternoon or after dinner, you're so worn out from worrying over this thing that the anxiety has accumulated that you just need all the cookies to escape for a minute, please, because our thoughts are just so stressful. We have all been there. Today, we're talking about the stories we tell ourselves and how we can create an extra dose of anxiety and stress for ourselves with our thoughts. We're also going to talk about three questions you can ask yourself to get clear on your story and help diffuse some of that pain or anxiety that your thoughts might be creating for you. Are you ready to dive into the pages of your story? Yeah, let's go. Do you ever feel like you know all the diet rules about eat this, but not that, and so you know what to do, but you just have a hard time actually doing it? I'm here to tell you, you are not the problem. Hi, I'm Lizzie. Welcome to the Confident Body Podcast, where we talk about all the mental and emotional parts of weight loss that diets don't tell you. It's time to step past the shame and the guilt from old diets and stop feeling like you're waiting to lose weight in order to fully participate in life. If you're ready to drop the diet mindset and learn what it takes to truly feel happy and confident in your own skin, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Welcome back. I am so grateful that you are here today. Thank you so much for listening. Let's dive into the stories we tell ourselves. Speaking of stories, I'm going to start us off with a story. So the other day I was working with a client and this client was, she was very, um, upset with herself because she had turned to food after she'd been really upset that her sister-in-law, her future sister-in-law had kind of excluded her from a dress fitting for the upcoming wedding. So basically her brother was getting married soon. The future sister-in-law had excluded my client from a dress fitting. And she learned that the the sisters, the bride-to-be had had a fitting or an adjustment to the dress and my client wasn't included. And she was really upset about this. And because she was so upset, she found herself turning to food later. So we got a little curious. I was like, what What was it about the bride-to-be having a fitting or an adjustment to her wedding dress that upset you that you weren't included in this adjustment, this fitting? And it turned out that my client had a lot of narratives uh, and stories around how the bride-to-be wasn't including her in things, my client felt left out of stuff, and the meaning she was making from this event was really painful for her. It was really adding a whole lot of extra story and pain, hence the desire to eat to escape all of that painful story that she was creating for herself. So there's a concept in psychology about the difference between clean pain and dirty pain. So clean pain is the pain we naturally feel from an event. So it can be as simple as I stubbed my toe, ouch, that hurt. Or it can be as more complicated and difficult as the loss of a loved one and the natural, understandable grief that you would feel from the loss of that person. Dirty pain is the story we create for ourselves around that original event that created pain. So for example, with if I stub my toe, the clean pain is, ouch, that hurt. 
The dirty pain is, oh, I'm so stupid. I'm such a klutz. I always run into things. Why do I always do that? That's the dirty pain. That's the story I am creating around the event that creates more additional pain for me. In the example of the loss of a loved one, the clean pain is the grief, the loss, the the normal mourning that would happen. That's part of the human experience. But the dirty pain could be something like, I never forgave him for that time when I felt like he betrayed me and I felt like he you know, sided with so-and-so instead of me in that argument that we had within the family or you know, something like that. And now this person is, has gone, is dead, and I will live with that you know, pain and like un, unsettled lack of closure that I've had all this time that I've been, I've been holding along to this resentment and now I can't do anything with it. It's all my fault because I never said I'm sorry. You know, that's an example of dirty pain. And so when we create this extra story around an initial event, we end up adding layers and layers of pain over an event that could or might even not be true. For example, I remember the first time I was, I was listening to a Brene Brown book. I think, I think it was Daring Greatly. Um, all of her books are amazing, but this one, I think it was Daring Greatly. So anyway, she was talking about a time that she and her family went to the lake that they you know, always go to for the summer for a vacation. And she and her husband used to be swimmers back in the day. And um, so this one morning, she and her husband decided to go for a swim in the lake before the rest of the family was up. And so they get out there and they're swimming and she's thinking to herself, gosh, this is so great. You know, we're out here in the morning and getting some exercise and we're together. What a special thing to do together. This is so special. And they get about to, you know, wherever they were going to stop and they're kind of treading water for a minute. And she looks over to her husband and she says, this is really special. This is really great. Yeah. And he kind of like is barely paying attention and he's like, "Uh uh-huh. And she's like, whoa, I did not get validated there. Uh, dang. Okay. Not the way I thought, saw that going. So anyway, they, they start to swim back to the dock and the whole swim back, she's ruminating and thinking to herself, he doesn't think that I look cute in my swimsuit anymore. He's regretting that he married an old lady or the woman that he married turned into an old lady. And God, you know, so like all of these things that she's thinking about herself and about his reaction and what she's making that mean. And so they get to the dock and she gets out and she's like, hold on a second. I thought we had a moment back there. Like I thought it was really special that we're out here swimming together. And I felt like you kind of blew me off. Like what the heck is going on? And he looked at her with astonishment. It was like, are you kidding me? I was thinking about how later the kids and I are going to be out here on the water and there's going to be all these boats. And most of the people that are driving the boats often are drinking. And so what if there's somebody who doesn't see us in the water, I'm going to have to dunk the kids under, how do do I need to go? How long do we need to hold our breath? And what if we don't make it? And, you know, basically he's thinking about like, how am I going to save the lives of our children later on in the day? And she's like, you weren't thinking about how you were disappointed in me? And he's like, no, no, what? And so it's so crazy how the story she was creating was completely different than what was on his mind. And that happens so often with relationships, but also with the, the, the events of our own lives and how we can kind of create narratives for ourselves. So why do we do that anyway? 
And as you might imagine, it all comes back to our brains being brains, what they do. So back in the, you know, the caveman days, back in the savannah, our brains are always trying to make meaning. The, the brain is trying to understand the environment. So the caveman or cave gal who heard a rustle in the grass is trying to make meaning from that rustle. What does that rustle mean? Is it a tiger? Is it the wind? And so the brain is trying to predict what's going to happen so that it can protect us from, from danger, to, to keep us safe. And so over time, that's how our brains have evolved to create meaning from the things that we think we see so that we can explain the world around us, so that the world makes sense. And as you might imagine, back in the savannah, a false negative, in other words, like I erroneously thought there was a tiger in the grass, but it just turned out to be the wind, is a lot more survivable than a false positive. In, in other words, if I say, oh, I'm sure it's fine, it's just the wind, and it turns out to be a tiger, then I, I die and I don't pass on my genes. So therefore, the caveman or cave gal who was wired to think, I'm pretty sure that's bad news, that's the, the person that was able to pass on their genes. And so now, as human beings, not only do our brains look around to try and make meaning of our environments so that we can explain the world to ourselves, we also most often default to a negative meaning. Our default setting is I'm going to look at the events in my life and I'm going to make a meaning out of it. And it's probably going to be a negative one because that's going to keep me safe. But on top of that, our brains like to be proven right. Like nobody wants to think that they're crazy. So our thoughts basically program the filter in our brain, the reticular activating system to look for what we think that meaning is to help prove us right. So here's an example. Like, let's say there's a, a young fella who asks a girl on a date and, you know, in his, let's say his teenage high school years, and she says, no, she turns him down. And so his brain decides to make that mean, you know, what? I'm just not good with girls. Girls don't like me. And so now his brain is tuned to that story. And now it looks for evidence to prove that story true. So now every interaction he has, he's looking for an example. See, I told you I was, I was not good with girls. You know, girls just don't like me. It's, I, I'm, I'm not that kind of guy. That becomes his belief. That becomes his identity. For me, I've told the story before of how I had a friend when I was in middle school who told me that I was a show-off. And that became my narrative. You know, it's not safe to stand too tall because then you become a target. And I was so blown away when I realized, oh my gosh, this is now a story I'm telling myself. But it's still, I still notice it today sometimes, you know, when I get an idea at work or something I want to share, I'm like, oh, but wait, what will other people think? You don't want to show off. Sometimes I, I don't know where this one came from, but sometimes if there's like a conflict at home, my automatic default is it's my fault. Somehow I caused this, this disagreement. I don't, like I said, I'm not sure where that came from, but it's helpful to notice, do I really need to own that? It's helpful for me to recognize my default setting is to assume it's my fault. And then I can ask, all right, I know that's my default story, but do I need to really own what's going on here? How much of this is me and how much of this is just my story? So we all create stories to explain the world around us. But the thing is though, they're just stories. 
We create our reality with the stories we tell ourselves. What an amazing thing to realize, right? Because it's like we have the pen and we get to write the story in our own voice. As soon as you realize, oh my gosh, my entire life basically is a collection of stories that my brain has created to make meaning of my environment. Now I get to claim the story. I get to write how I want this to go. I get to determine what story I want to tell for myself. We can write ourselves into the story as the victim or the hero. The point is you are in charge of the story you tell yourself. That is so important. I'm going to say it again. Ready? The point is you are in charge of the story you tell yourself of the meaning you decide to make from the events in your life. Pretty cool, huh? But so that's nice. But like, how, how do you even begin to see our stories? Because just like the guy who decided that he wasn't good with, with girls, it became a belief. It became his identity. And when something is our identity, it's, it's not something that you learn to question. It just is fact. It's just true. It's set in stone. It can be like the fish swimming in the water. And you're like, they're like, what water? What do you mean? What is water? Our beliefs become so real that we don't even question them. So how do you find the story? Step one, you start with the pain. Where is there upset or stress or anxiety in your life? Remember the story of like that thing that keeps you up at night or when you wake up, your brain is the first thing it goes to. Like I said, I've got lots of experience with this. So start there. Wherever there's anxiety or stress, that's probably a mix of some clean pain and a, a, a hefty dose of dirty pain as well. That anxiety, that stress is a signal to get curious. It's not something to push away. It's not something to say, I just need to de-stress. I just need to self-care. You can get curious. What's going on here? And then here, I've got three questions that are so, so special and important that you write these down, okay? So once you've noticed the pain, the anxiety, you get curious. Here's question number one. Ask yourself, what's the story I'm telling myself? So in the example of the my client with the bridesmaid's dress, when she was not included in a fitting, the story she was telling herself is, my sister-in-law excluded me on purpose from this fitting. Question two is, what am I making this mean? What am I making this mean? And usually you can ask yourself, what am I making this mean about me? What am I making this mean about other people? What am I making this mean about the future? So going back to the example of my client with a bridesmaid's dress, what was she making it mean? She was making it mean that not only did her sister-in-law exclude her, but her sister-in-law doesn't like her and she's being left out again, that people don't like her. And then the third question, which is really where we get to the root of of the pain of the challenge, is what am I afraid of? It turned out my client was really afraid of how she was going to look in her bridesmaid's dress at the wedding. She already felt embarrassed and ashamed of how she looked. She was not feeling great in her body. And so she took the example of the future bride-to-be getting a fitting on her own to be an example of how she was probably going to look terrible at the wedding. And that just hit on this nerve of insecurity and anxiety. That's what she was afraid of. 
I have actually another story for myself personally. Uh, at a previous job, I was working with um, IT consultants and I was kind of their um, professional development coach. And I had a, a whole bunch of them. Like I had like 75 different clients. And one of my IT consultants at one point asked if he could switch to a different professional development coach. And that was a kind of a triggering story for me because the story I was making it mean is I did something wrong. It's, you know, the problem is with me. As I said before, I, I have a default story that's like, it's my fault. I don't know why, but it must be my fault. And that was the story I was telling myself. When I asked, what am I making this mean? I realized that I was making it mean that this person asking to work with somebody else was proof that I was no good and that I was a bad hire. And then when I asked myself, what am I afraid of? I realized that I was afraid that I was going to get fired, which would mean that I would be like standing on the edge of this cliff of despair, looking into this pit of blackness of not enoughness of like, I am not enough. And so I was afraid of getting fired because of what that would mean about me. Ironically, as it turned out, just a few months later, he was let go because he had a mentality that was always making things somebody else's fault, that no one was ever helping him. And so he didn't turn out to be an asset to the team. And so what's crazy is I was creating so much pain and anxiety and suffering for myself with the story, which didn't even turn out to be accurate. And so I needed to get clear on what was the story I'm telling myself? What am I making this mean? What am I afraid of? And now I get to choose. What do I want to make it mean? What is the story I want to choose to tell myself? So this is all interesting, of course, cool stories. Yeah, always good. But what does this have to do with weight loss? Well, often when we're telling ourselves a painful story, we end up eating to avoid or numb the emotions that the story is creating for us. Here's a couple examples. Work stresses me out. Okay, first of all, it's your thoughts about work that stress you out. And so your thoughts create that anxiety and the stress. And at the end of the day, you end up eating to feel better from the stress. Here's another thought. I'm so busy. Your schedule is what it is. I guarantee you there are people that have busier schedules than you. But your story about your schedule is making it more challenging, is amping up that stress and that anxiety. And we turn to the Oreos to avoid and, and numb away from that, that stress and anxiety from the story around our schedule. Maybe your story is my adult son and daughter-in-law didn't invite us over for dinner or a birthday or a holiday or whatever, and they don't love us. You cannot change someone else's thoughts or actions. You only have control over how you choose to think about things. And so be clear on what is the story you're creating around this neutral event and how is it perhaps causing you additional pain? When our thoughts create a painful story, we end up getting to the end of the day and we just want to escape our painful feelings and food is a faithful friend when our thoughts are not. One thing that's been amazing for me since I've learned these three questions is how it has incredibly helped me with my communication with my family. So here's a great example. My schedule has recently changed and now I work on Sundays. And prior to this, I used to go to the grocery store on Sundays for the week and because of the schedule change, my husband said, okay, I'll go to the grocery store on Sundays. Just give me a list and, and I'll take the kids and we'll, we'll go do the grocery run. And I confess, like, I, I don't love the grocery store run. It's, it's always sort of a chore each week. 
And so after maybe three or four weeks of this, I was beginning to create a story in my mind that like, I was really burdening my husband that he was taking on this chore, this this family task of going to the grocery store for us each week. And I began to feel really guilty about it. And I began to kind of look for ways of like, oh, no, I'll sneak over to the grocery store after work one day or like, no, I'll, I'll get it. And I was putting more pressure on myself to get stuff done faster so that I could get to the grocery store. And one Sunday morning, I realized I said, okay, I, I needed to tell you the story I'm telling myself and just check in with you and see where you are on this. And so I told him the story I'm telling myself is that now that you're going to the grocery stores on Sundays, you're kind of annoyed by it. And it feels like a huge drag. And but you're just doing it to be nice. And he looked at me and he he smiled and he laughed. He said, actually, I really, it doesn't bother me one bit. It's kind of fun. I get to go with the kids. It's totally great. You can release that story completely. I was like, really? He's like, yeah, we're good. But he said, I have a story that I'm telling myself. Now that it's Sunday mornings, and I'm getting up at a normal work time, like, you know, five, six o'clock in the morning and working. And he's it's a Sunday. So he's sleeping in. He's like, I have a story that I'm telling myself that the longer I stay in bed, I'm actually getting in your way, because you're not able to shower quite yet and like get ready for the day. And I said, well, you can let go of that story, because I actually really love having that quiet time in the morning to just get a bunch of stuff done. So we're, we're good. It's awesome. And so by a, being able to, first of all, tell myself the truth, what's the story I'm telling myself. And then I could tell him the truth and say, can I just check in? Here's what I'm telling myself. Does that resonate with you? Is it true? And he was able to say, no, it's fine. And so it's completely revolutionized the way my husband and I communicate. And I even do this with my kids. And it's, it's really amazing when you can tell yourself the truth about the story you're telling yourself. And then, you know, optional, but if you want, then you can talk to your loved ones about it and say, here's where I'm at. Where are you at? And that can alleviate so much pain and suffering. So you ready for our tiny confident body action step for the week? Here we go. So what about you? Where is there something challenging in your life? What's the story you're telling yourself about it? You may be like, I'm not sure. I don't know. Look for the painful or unpleasant feeling. What is one thing that makes you feel stress or worry or anxiety? Don't even start with the deepest, heaviest thing. Go with something easy. Maybe it's your schedule. Maybe it's um, buying snacks for the soccer game this week. Look deeper. Ask yourself, question number one, what's the story I'm telling myself about this thing? Question number two, what am I making it mean? <laughs> I know for me personally, snacks for the soccer game each week made me mean, I made it mean about myself that I was a lousy mom because I always bought the store box, bought stacks. Whew, those words are hard to say together. I always bought the store bought snacks. Whew instead of making homemade whatevers. Uh, so I always made it mean that I was a lousy mom. And then question number three, what are you afraid of? Being more clear with yourself about your narrative can help you let go of some of that stress and anxiety. And if you're interested, there is a whole section in my book about how our thoughts create our feelings. So if you've ever found yourself stress eating or boredom eating or any of that kind of stuff, check out my book. Just search You Are a Miracle on Amazon. And if there's anything in this episode that's helped you, I would love for you to write a review on iTunes. It would be amazing. Your review could help somebody else decide to take a listen and maybe help her feel a little bit less alone. Your review just might help somebody else shine a little brighter. And before we go, remember, love yourself. 
because we're all telling ourselves a story about what's going on in our lives. You can choose to be the hero of your own story. All right, that's what I've got for you this week. I will see you next time. Thank you so much for listening today. Seriously, I know it's not a small thing and I genuinely appreciate it and I hope it helped you. Make sure you head on over to confidentbody.coach slash tips and sign up for my seven top tips for little shifts that create big results so that you can start feeling confident in your body right now. I will see you next week. And until then, remember, you are a miracle.